0: Welcome to the Canon Law Society of America podcast, where Catholic canon lawyers share their stories, their knowledge, and their love for the law. Now, here's your host with this episode's guest canonist.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this podcast. I am Donna Miller, the executive coordinator for the CLSA, and I want to welcome our guest today, Father John Paul Kimes. Father Kimes is a priest of the Eparchy of Our Lady of Lebanon of Los Angeles and an associate professor of the practice at Notre Dame Law School. In his past lives, he has served in Rome at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the CDF. So he has insider expertise on our topic today, which is the recent promulgation of Book 6 of the Code of Canon Law. This is actually Father Kimes' second podcast for our CLSA members. It was a little less than a year ago in July of last year that we spoke on the Betta And he also presented a seminar at our virtual convention in October last year where he spoke uh, and gave further insights. So we've come back to you now for more insights on book six. Welcome, Father John Paul.
0: Thank you so much, Donna. I hope hope to be able to say something insightful for everybody who's (laughs) listening today.
1: Oh, I'm sure that you will. And you and I spoke uh, about two weeks ago on June 1st. The day that
0: very very early on the (laughs) morning of June first, as a matter of fact, yes,
1: it was. And and I I was mentioning to you before, I was one of those that was a little skeptical when I heard, oh, they're having a a press conference on the you know the day after Memorial Day, and early in it was five o'clock my time. Earlier as you went west in the in the U.S., I got up and was listening, thinking, okay, what's going to happen here? I was actually pretty surprised that they actually promulgated. The book because um, that was not. I, I just thought it was going to be a status update. Tell us what your reaction was, and then tell us some of your initial thoughts.
0: Well, I mean, as, as you know, and as ever, I think everybody knows it's it's certainly no secret, and it was mentioned in in the the, the letter Pashi and day that this project began back in two thousand and seven. So yeah, I think everybody's bewilderment is. Uh, that it did finally appear that after so many years and different drafts and so much commentary and back and forth and intervening, you know, laws that have been promulgated in the in the intervening times since 2007, I think everybody was kind of surprised, actually, to be able to, or or you know, bewildered in a certain sense to actually be able to hold a text and say, "Oh, wow, they actually did this." Um, but I was not skeptical that they were actually going to present it that day. I was I was not a skeptic. Um, I've been burned enough times. You know, as you know, uh, and I'm sure the listeners remember from our podcast on the Vatimakum, I was supposed to have been talking about book six a year ago. Uh, so I was not quite surprised, not as surprised that they finally came out with it. But I think everybody's just happy that after so many years of such hard work, that we finally have a product that we can, a product that sounds bad, but we finally have uh, legislation that we can sink our teeth into as canon lawyers and that the Holy Father has presented in a very different way, I think, than the penal law in the 1983 code was originally presented. I think that, I think the the tone of Pashi Te is very much um, a reaction to the way that penal law has been uh, applied, uh, that is ignored in most sectors of the church uh, with the exception of what has developed in the area of uh, sexual abuse of minors over the past uh, 20 years now. But I think uh, the, bishop, the, the Pope's call, the Holy Father's call to uh, responsibility of the bishops to apply penal law. I think that uh, changes the tone of penal law in the Latin code. And it does so in an important way for bishops and for us canonists too. It gives us a lot to chew on over the, over the coming years.
1: So you mentioned 2007 sort of being the genesis of this. So that would have been under Pope Benedict, who,
0: exactly I suppose,
1: gave the mandate to the, the typical Council for Legislative mm-hmm. Texts to, to get this underway. We were already, I would guess you would say six years in if we think of 2001 as kind right. of when the sexual abuse crisis hit. So it, it was 14 years or so since then. So Pope Benedict didn't stay in uh, in mm-hmm. office long enough to see the end of it. So now here we are under... Pope Francis, do you think that change of, of under from Pope Benedict when it started to Francis? Because we all know there's differences in the ways that yeah. they have, um, it, they run run the show. I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, I,
0: I don't. I don't know that there's. I wouldn't. Um, uh, is this is this a different product than it would have been had Benedict seen the project to its end? Most likely. Um, but I think that that's also uh, because of everything that's happened since then. I mean if we think about the way that you know Pope Francis never presents himself as a legislator uh, but the number of dissertations that are going to be written in canon law faculties uh, good, bad and different in the in the future for you know, examining but the, the quantity of legislation that Pope Francis has, has or has been generated under his pontificate, um, I think that the the preceding legislation that Pope Francis has has issued, not only, um, you know, like a loving mother, and not only vos estis, and not only, uh, you know, modifications to SST, but also changes to religious law, and, you know, changes, um, you know, that, that there's a whole panoply of things that Pope Francis has modified over the course of his pontificate and all of those things, all of the situations to which those legislative, those previous uh, legislative efforts were responding. I think it's those situations that influence the outcome of this text more than anything else. I think one of the things, um, and I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole because it is, it is, it will become a rabbit hole. The change in tone in the Libra section, it, it, it really you know it does two things. So it eliminates the the perceived confusion between a pastoral approach, which was the generally accepted practice of the original uh, book Six of the 1983 Code, and the understanding then that penal law is itself a pastoral. You know, it it, it I I've been reflecting, you know, more and more on the the title of the the. The letter of promulgation that's paschite gregem day, so that you know that you know basically you know tending the flock of of God, and the resonance that it has with the Eastern Code's first canon on penal law, which is a citation of Canon one hundred and two from the Council of Trullo from you know this the seventh century, this notion of the people of God as as a flock, and the responsibility of the bishop to shepherd them. And that the shepherd's staff, if you will, is not only to to bring them back, but also to prod them when they need to be prodded. And that penal law does both of those things. It creates a a fence, if you will, within which if, uh, if the sheep wander around in the pasture and they don't even know the fence is there until they come up next to it. And then it's the bishop's job to pull them away, the shepherd's job to pull them away from the fence. And when they don't get pulled away from the fence, then it's his job to correct them more severely, if you will. And it was that more severe correction that was lacking in most people's approach to penal law because they, they saw a conflict between a pastoral tone to the penal law and the very nature of um, you know, correction of crime, they, 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 there was a, this confusion and, and, you know, maybe Pope Francis in his own days as a bishop had that same confusion, um, you know, uh, but what he's done now is he's clearly set forth, he's like, okay, guys, everybody, bishops, all right, buck up, uh, you know, you have to apply penal law. This is part of your pastoral ministry. Uh, and I think that, that change in tone will help the church, get get away from its hesitance its reluctance to uh, to apply penal law so that's kind of one thing that it's done and the other thing that it's done and again this is the part of the rabbit hole I really don't want to go down so stop me please uh, is that it's set uh, it's presented more as a manual this is not the canon law of yesteryear in the sense that it's not, just general principles that you and I and the listeners you know were supposed to go to school for two or three or five or however many years to have this patrimony of canonical principles you know sort of in our head so that when we saw a certain term it made connections for us and we knew what it meant and we knew how to apply it and we knew the other connections of the code. This is canon law really sort of flattened out. Flattened out in the sense of if you need to apply this, there are very few places in the new Libra Sextum where one would actually have to make reference to anything else that doesn't, that isn't already cited. So if you need to, if you need to issue a penal precept and it's supposed to cite the norm, you know, it's supposed to follow the norms of a decree that, you know, in the general norms, well, we don't even bother expecting you to know that anymore. We're just gonna go ahead and tell you. Uh, so there's a real flattening out of it. and I think that's part of the Pope's intention to make it easier for bishops to apply so that it's, it's penal law demystified. Let's you know put a you know use a positive term and say that it's penal law demystified. So I think that those two aspects of the tone of it, you know, the sort of this reconciliation of the perception of a divergence between pastoral, care and the application of penal law, and then the demystification of penal law. I think those two things are what the Pope has tried to do to make it easier for bishops around the world who may not have the canonical resources that some of our dioceses, some of our bishops are are blessed to have, that they can apply this, um, you know, as is. They can pick it up, they can read it, and they can know, I do A, I do B, and then I do C.
1: Those are amazing, so much chock full in there. Um, and one of our CLSA members sent out kind of just to other canonists, kind of a broken down uh, version, which to your point of a manual, you know, these are the canons that have penal uh, processes that, or they say these may result in the penal process. There are some yeah. canons that must result in the penal process. Yeah. There are some canons that may or must result in the dismissal from the clerical state, so and I myself even noticed upon counting how many times canon this, the reference to canon thirteen thirty six sections two through four. I, I counted twenty five or twenty six times mm-hmm. alone, where where there's a direct you know use these penal use these as penalties um, compared to five times I think in the existing right.
0: code.
1: So it, it leaves no room in, in times. No, well, I
0: mean, and you know, and and just to that point, uh, Donnie, you know, there's the change too in you know, and again, this goes back to sort of the demystification of canon law, you know, we are we, accustomed to, you know, puniri poset, you know, that can be punished. Well, that doesn't mean that it wasn't, you know, that you would just sit there and arbitrarily decide when you were going to punish someone for breaking the law. It meant that you were going to undergo, you were going to undertake all of what was expected of you in canon 1341 and in other places to, to understand if Punishment was the, best, was the best way to correct this action, or whether fraternal correction or any of these other things, uh, you know, any of these other penal remedies could be applied before applying a penalty. Again, it's flat now. It's puniri debit. It must be punished. What was falsely perceived, I don't know, falsely, what was incorrectly perceived by some to be discretionary which to those of us who studied the law, we know that it, wasn't, it, was, it was discretionary, but not discretionary that you couldn't take any action or that you could choose not to take an action. It was discretionary in the sense that the, the bishop was called to discern whether the punishment of a particular crime was the proper action to take if there was a less severe action that could achieve the same goal. So he had that discretion. Not the discretion, oh, I don't have to punish this guy because I like him, or I don't have to punish this guy because I just don't feel like it. I, th- th- that was a false understanding of the discretionary authority of, of the Bishop of the Ordinary. The new version has done away with any, <laughs> any impression of that kind of discretion, where we had pulse it before we have Dembitt all over the place. You gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. And that's, again, I think it's um, as, a, as a canonist, I think it's it's something that I'm not terribly comfortable with um because I think it's I think it's a, a correction that's based on a misunderstanding not a correction that's based on an error in the law I think it was something that was changed but for not legal reasons it was changed for other reasons than strictly legal ones
1: mm. you mentioned in there sort of like looking for what is the end goal um, when mm-hmm. perhaps when a bishop, an ordinary is going to take action. And, and we've also talked previously, maybe you could kind of flesh this out, Canon 1341 kind yeah. of being the key to which you look through the prison yeah. into this. Can you, can you talk a little bit about those goals of penal law and how that
0: all Yeah, and, and, and it's, again, we, again, here we've seen a change in tone, um, you know, so that anybody that read uh, book six is it was presented in the 1983 code. When you got to Canon 1341, which admitted you're 30 canons in at this point, so you, you may have been looking for a, a key to reading all of this. You know, Canon 1341 set out what it was that the bishop had to tried had to do by other means before beginning a penal process. So, in saying that, if the bishop could you know, repair scandal, restore justice and reform the offender by other means than he was to do so. So that to the, you know, to the reader, to the, to the canonist, you say, okay, well, if that's what he had to try to do before initiating a penal process, then those three things must be the actual goal of the penal process. Because if I could do them without a penal process, I didn't need one. So because I couldn't accomplish them before, I have to have a penal process because I have to do those three things. I have to restore justice. I have to repair scandal. I have to reform the offender. What we've seen now is we've seen that Transport so we that we see that repeated now in the code, it's not just in Canon 1341, it's at least in two, if not in three places. Uh, you know, in the in the in the the sixth book now, and in particular, we see it imported straight into Canon 1311. So, right at the beginning, in paragraph two, we have these three categories, if you will, and we've we've changed the order. So, the Holy Father has changed the order of them as well, whereas before repairing scandal was the first in Canon 1341, that's now moved to number three. Restoring justice, which was the second, is now the first. And the reformation of the offender, which was the last, is now the one in the middle. So we went from repairing scandal, restoring justice and reforming the offender to restoring justice, reforming the offender and repairing scandal. Now, it's a distinction without a difference. They're the same three things. But it's a distinction that will probably have, again, a non-legal resonance that the focus of this is not repairing scandal, because we know what people think of, oh, you're trying to cover up when you're trying to repair a scandal, you're trying to cover something up. This is kind of, you know, this is the way our mentality and our language has changed since 1983, when they're probably like... You know, there are three things we need to do. All three of them are good. We need to, we need to get all three of them done. Um, but so in moving reparation of scandal to the end of the list, again, this is just my opinion. I think that, again, they're responding to, um, I would say, linguistic, uh, it's, a, it's a linguistic change that will help change the perception of the law, not the reality of the law, but the perception of the law, that the law of the church is not designed to quote unquote repair scandal, i.e. cover things up. That it's mm-hmm. first and foremost designed to restore justice. And all throughout here, you, you get a mixed bag, I think, of a, you know, a, little, a little bit of everything for everybody. So there's some language here that's gonna make you know, those men and women who have been engaged in advocacy Uh, efforts for priests happy because they see language in there that wasn't there before. There's those who've worked for advocacy for victims and in in different areas, not just in uh, crimes of sexual abuse, but in other areas, those who have worked to advocate for victims' rights are going to be happy because they see language in here that wasn't there before. And, you know, so there's, uh, there's a, there's, there are a lot of linguistic concerns that I don't know are essentially legal ones um, so much as, but again, as, as one of my one of my uh, esteemed former colleagues used to say, and probably still does, it's not just justice that's important. It's also the appearance of justice that is important. So it's important that justice be arrived in a manner that is perceived to be just. So the, I think these changes in language work on that perception that what the church is doing in applying this law is working toward justice.
1: I think that keyword there that some might kind of classified as almost like optics when you talk about marketing you know it's an yeah. optics issue and that people like you said when I used I to can't say sexu- that though
0: Donna that's for no,
1: you I'm saying it just because when I used to uh, review sexual abuse policies for religious institutes and I would say to them you know you, all, you should always mention the victim before the offender if you're going to talk about you know right. doing things vic- victim first and then mention the offender just because it, it does, whether it's even subconscious or people will see yeah. it and if you mention one first, so so by mentioning those kinds of um, like you say scandal scandal, me people said all they're worried about is that how they look. and so at exactly. Least a small move to kind of say, no, that's not the priority, you know
0: yeah. Um, well, and 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 again, it's not that re- the reparation of scandal is not important. But again, as you said, the optics of it I mean, the perception of it must be that the church's primary goal is justice. And if in changing the order of those three categories, we, we are able to the, achieve a greater perception that the church's concern in applying her law is justice, then have at it. Ch- change, all, change the order of all the things you want if it's, if the, if the goal is actually, uh, you know, to make it better understood what the purpose of the law is. Absolutely. But again, it's so, you know, you know, for an old fuddy-duddy like me, that's just one of those things like, well, you know, damn it. I had those memorized. <laughs> now I have to, now I have to repeat them in a different order. <laughs> it's no fun. <laughs> um, but it, you know, but again, it's those kinds of that, that the changes in tone and the, you know, the, 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 the removal of language that is apparently discretionary, but is it really discretionary? I mean, is that really a legal change or is that a change in the perception or an effort, an effort to change the perception of it? And again, if those efforts to change the perception help people understand what the law of the church is actually designed to do, you know, they're, they're, I, I welcome them. I absolutely welcome them.
1: I'm sure there, there will be bishops on not to say both sides of the issue, but some of them have already felt, you know, we need to crack down, we need to do more. Mm -hmm. And then there are others who are on that side. Oh, it's discretionary. I can make the decision. So you probably, even within their own discussion, it'll be interesting over the coming years.
0: Well, that and you have, you know, uh, you know, some of the not to get into an exhaustive list, because you know, we've got lots to talk about at the convention of the pre convention. So we don't want you know, to spoil all the surprises. But you know, new crimes that are that are brought in, um, you know, you look at canon 1393 paragraph two, I jokingly call that the money val crime. So this is our, you know, the the, <laughs> the, the anti money laundering norms now at the Vatican Bank, this is kind of a, a money val crime. So that. But again, these are, you know, a lot of these new things that are included, um, you know, whether you look at, um, oh, uh, you know, something like Canon 1390, paragraph two, where we're talking about reputation, and now we've gone back and it's become, we've, we've uh, unified the text and language with Canon 220, so that it's not that you, you know, ruin someone's reputation, it's that you illegitimately do it. So that it's you know you can you can speak ill of someone if they deserve to be spoken ill of, but you can't do so in a way that's illegitimate. You can't make up stuff, um, mm. you know. But so there's so there's some of the language that's changed that's that's more uh, precise, and you have things like Canon thirteen ninety two, uh, you know, about clerics who have abandoned ministry. So uh, it's also you know elements of that crackdown, if you will, are there. Um, But again, there there's a lot to unpack, and there's going to be a lot to look at for a long time, um, both in the sense of the perception of you know there's a new sheriff in town uh, who's standing there with a six shooter. So if you you know, but at the same time you have the new the introduction to a, a radical change in prescription, so that you have now a procedural prescription not just prescription for you know not just the statute of limitations for bringing for an accusation we now have this if you will a statute of limitation during a procedure so that you know again and this is one of those things that advocates would you know certainly were clamoring for because if a bishop just gets bored you know halfway through a trial or you know or an administrative process it just kind of lets it lay, um, you know, in the sort of, well, everybody's fat, up and happy. Nobody's raising too much of a ruckus. We just will let this drag on for a little while. The Holy Father has come in and say, no, you can't do that. You know, you start a process, you got to finish it. So here you go. Here's you know, and it's not an extremely short term, but it's a, it's a signal that no, when you start a process, you have to finish it. And so there, again, I, I keep saying there's a lot in there and it is, um, you know, there's uh, a, a little something for everybody, I think, that, uh, you know, to, not to talk about sides, but all of the voices that have been, um, you know, that have participated over the 16 plus years because uh, allegedly this was done at the plenary in 2020 and then it just took a while to finish up. Well, you know, we won't, who knows whether it was 16 years, 17 years, whatever. Uh, it was a long time, or excuse me, 15 or 16 years, however long it's, it's been. It's been a long time, but there've been a lot of voices that have been heard in this. There've been a lot of societal factors that have, that have changed things. We've had multiple scandalous uh, you know, some prosecutions, other not prosecutions of different cardinals in the church, or some who were former cardinals, some who were still card. You know, I mean, so there there've been a lot of factors that have influenced uh, what's gone into this text. Um, is it perfect? No, you know, not even close. Nothing is. Um, you know, and it's, and and these changes now, are we gonna have to go update, you know, the Concordia inter Kodices? because now, you know, we've we've now violated the fundamental rule that Christians of, you know, that the, the, the Christi fidele is that the baptized of any church sui juris have the same rights and obligations. Well, we've now completely thrown that out the window because we've inserted new crimes into part of the church's legislation, but not into into others. So are we now gonna have to revise the Eastern code? Um, you know. Uh, and then, are we going to, you know, for those that have seen, um, you know, Father Brian, Brian Austin did that, you know, nice chart that included the 2011 schema. That in 2011, they went ahead and included changes to procedural law as sort of an addendum. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't get that. A lot, I think a lot of people were looking for that. Does, so, does that mean that we're going to get changes to procedural law? Um, I think there are hints in here that we're going to, but you know, what those are going to look like, who knows, Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, been one among many voices that for years has said the administrative process when it's used in a penal manner, really, in order to achieve justice, it needs to be modified, there needs to be a little more meat on the bones. Um, You know, is that going to come? Is is some of this language that we've seen, uh, you know, this the about, you know, preserving the right of self defense and things like that. Are we is that going to lead legislative text into proposing to the Holy Father changes to procedure law? Who know? I mean, I would I would imagine so, but <laughs> if we started in two thousand seven and it's two thousand and twenty one and we're just getting the changes to the law, yeah. <laughs> I you know how long, oh Lord, for the wicked, how long? I I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how long the 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 will sit there and lament uh you know these changes that may or may not come
1: absolutely and i know there's even a task force with clsa now working on a national uh, penal tribunal you know just the concept and and uh looking back and saying oh this was actually talked about in 2013 and 14 and here's some things they printed and it was never it never got off the ground yeah so even we in our task forces have kind of spun our wheels so we know what it's like to try to get something implemented
0: well, and and two, you know a lot of that's, again, I go back to this. It's you know, I we've been spinning our wheels, but things have been moving forward. Um, you know, so we've we've had changes in legislation that have that have moved the ball forward in a certain sense. Now, again, unevenly, I don't need to, I don't want to pick on one piece of legislation over another, but it's been a very uneven progress and very uneven legislations, I think one of the interesting things that this, uh, the new book six does is it's, it's leveled out some of that unevenness. Uh, There are a lot of people, I, I put myself in this boat, who raise a question with the definition of vulnerable, as it was found, you know, first, you know, those who are, who, you know, go back to the changes in Vatican City State law, which were introduced at the end of March, in 2019, which was, you know, a harbinger of what was going to come in Vos Estes, um, you know, so that that definition doesn't appear in the book six. So is this to, you know, do we read the tea leaves and say, well, Vos Estes was only approved for a three year, you know, is ad experimentum for three years. Does this change in language in book six, which does not use the term vulnerable, but speaks of others who were afforded the same protection under the law, it, does that mean we're going to get, you know, maybe does that signal um, a refinement? That's the word I'm looking for. Does that, does that signal maybe that there's going, that the text of those when it's up for renewal in three years is going to be further refined? Um, I, again, we're, we're reading tea leaves at this point, but I think those are, they're important signals in the text for, that, that hint at some of the things that might be coming down the road.
1: Yeah, and that also raises questions, that, at least for me, with regard to SST, and, which was, you know, has been revised since the original 2001 version, but, and that leads me to just, to, I don't wanna step on what you plan to do at the pre-convention, but I know one of the things that people noticed with regard to uh, a change was mm-hmm. the reclassification of the, what would have been called the DLEX against minors into a new, sort of a new category, offenses against human life dignity and liberty. Yeah. And it moved the canon a little further along if we're talking about yeah. moving things up with optics, but, but at least it classified it differently. And I, and I know there've been points made in articles about that. Can you speak to that just yeah. briefly?
0: Yeah, I think, um, I, uh, what, do, what do I wanna say about that? Um, no, I mean, I, I, again, I think it's one of those things that it's been, um, you know, victims rights advocates have been arguing for that kind of change, a change in the classification of that particular delict for years, um, at least the past ten years, if not more, they've been vocally advocating for a change in the classification of the delicts. We certainly saw that in uh, the Australia. You know, the Royal Commission in Australia, you know, gave everybody an earful about the classification. There were uh, commissions in Great Britain that made the same observation. They're advocates of victims' rights, uh, you know, from South America, who have made the same, who have made the same observation. So this is I, I, that's something that's been in the water, if you will. Um, and again, my take on that would be very simple: if it helps give the proper perception for what the church is prosecuting and why it's prosecuting it, fine. Um, and is the older classification of the special obligations of clerics, does that, you know, somehow smack of some residual clericalism or, uh, does it smack of putting the focus on the offender and not the victim? Is it, you know, again, their, are important perception, you know, their, you know, perception, you know, in, in advertising and in politics percep- perception is reality. That's not the case for us, but the perception of reality is important. So if, in using an older terminology to describe a crime the church is providing a perception of it that does not match the reality then that needs to change and if in changing this to a crime against the dignity freedom and you know of the human person that doesn't change the reality of what the church is prosecuting but perhaps it better it perhaps it provides a better Perhaps it provides better language for the modern reader to understand why the church is prosecuting this crime. Yes, it's a sin mm-hmm. against. Uh, yes, it's a, a sin against chastity. That's how it's classified. It ha- needs to be classified by that because that, this, the you know, the sin against the sixth commandment the Decalogue provides a width of a breadth of um, of activities that can be classified as criminal that no other language does. And so, you know, the, you know, we see again, that conflict with the language in Vosestes, which talks about a sexual act. Well, a sexual act naturally excludes some of the things that the CDF has classified as, you know, violations of the Sixth Commandment of the Decalogue. So, you know, it, it's, for me, I was heartened to see that the, the New Libra Sextum did not follow Bosestis in changing that language of the violation of the Sixth Amendment of the Decalogue. But at the same time, I think changing the classification of the crime will help people understand better how the church views it, that it doesn't view it as some kind of, oh, because you're a cleric, this is important. No, is this because you damage the life of one of God's sons and daughters? I mean, this is, this is why this is a crime. Yes, you violated the sixth commandment of the Decalogue. Yes, you violated your responsibility as a Christian to live a moral life, but it, but in violating it in this way, you have harmed one of God's sons and daughters, and you're being punished because that harm was on a particularly uh, susceptible, was it was on a particularly fragile category, which has been traditionally, you know, applied to youth. So that if we change that perception and we more accurately reflect the church's, you know, the reality of it by changing the classification,
1: I think it's great. Yeah. And I think, um, or do you think that it's also necessary simply because now there's a greater breadth of those who can be punished? If it was yeah. only clerics who could be punished, and now it's those who work for the church or minister in the right. church, if it was well, it, not reclassified.
0: Absolutely. You know, in in expanding the crime, in expanding the the field of potential (laughs) criminals, if you will, uh, I think that I think the church, I mean, you had to change it because there's no longer, you know, uh, a violation of a special obligation, unless you want to say that there are special obligations, because these laymen and women who are now who now can be punished or are supposed to be in some kind of office or have some role of responsibility. Again, figuring out what that means is going to take time. Figuring out how to apply that is going to take time, Um, you know, but we know that that's not going to be subject to the CDF, or at least right now, (laughs) it's not not subject to the CDF. Who knows if the Holy Father will change the CDF's purview and give them all of those things. I can't imagine that that would happen. Um, I mean, I can't imagine that would happen. I kind of hope it, you know, I hope it wouldn't happen. For the sake of my of sake. my dear brothers and sisters and my <laughs> friends who are in the CDF who are already overworked and overburdened. But again, I think that you know though that, that's the kind of thing that the, we're gonna have to live into. We're gonna have to figure out what is what is what is the what does that language mean? Who is it talking about exactly? Is it talking about the parish secretary, or is it talking about the DRE? Or is it talking about somebody who actually holds an office? Is it the Chancellor? Um, you know, wh- wh- who, who are these people? Um, and because the, you know, because the law has, you know, tried to use legal concepts and legal language, we, you know, we now just have to figure out exactly what the, the bins, what the, the mind of the Supreme legislator is in creating these new categories. What exactly, who exactly is subject to prosecution for this?
1: Absolutely. And that takes me back to even when the charter and norms came out and review boards were set up and they were bringing cases to review boards, you know, a teacher in a diocese or things. And I was thinking to myself, no, those that's not what they're supposed to be reviewing. Now that throws all of that out the window. And it is the question is, can you review
0: review those? And and this, you know, and this is uh, this is an interesting crossover in the American context. Because you now have, because of religious liberties issues in civil law, you have more and more dioceses who are classifying teachers as ministers, so they can be, use the ministerial exemption. You know, if they need to, if they need to fire them for you know immoral conduct or for conduct that's you know against teaching of the church, uh, you know, and there's some there's some very notor- notorious is a terrible word there's some very well known cases <laughs> across the country. Uh, where this has been applied, and there's uh, at least one where it's they're looking to apply it. Um, so, what does this mean for in in the in the case of civil law claims? If we're claim, if we're claiming on the one hand that these teachers and people who are working in our schools are technically ministers under a civil category, does that mean that we've recognized them as office holders in the canonical sense, such that they're subject to prosecution now for the crimes of, of sexual abuse? I don't know. I don't, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see.
1: <laughs> we'll see. I think there's a lot that we're going to see as this, <laughs> this, as this all develops. And uh, so when we get to the convention and our pre-convention, I want to kind of mention that here because mm-hmm. listeners, you've mentioned it, um, Father John Paul and uh, Monsignor John Rankin, who is a professor at St. Uh, Paul University, teaches canon law. He's actually the dean of the faculty of canon law, will be doing a pre convention workshop at our October convention in San Diego. And that is a sort of a two day starts Sunday and finishes on Monday, many more hours of um, of unpacking all of this and by then a couple of months from now they will have even more to share. And then Father John Paul will be doing a a single workshop on it for those who can't come to the pre convention. So if you're a CLSA member we will have those that information out here in the next week or so and watch for our newsletter. Non-members can certainly attend also and can check our website under the conventions and things. So one last question that I kind of wanted to mention and I've seen this thrown out there is that obviously there's a Boccaccio Legis and and this takes effect on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, Um, any thoughts on that as the effective date? Is that just, okay, let's look down the road and let's do December 8th or is there significance?
0: I, I don't i I don't think so if there is I, I don't know what it would be um to be honest I you know maybe the Holy Father just said okay we, you know we need a couple of months and oh hey that's the next you know that's the feast day that's six months from now roughly so let's go for that um I, yeah I just I, I I don't think there's any real significance to it if there is it's veiled to <laughs> to, to my darkened eyes maybe somebody <laughs> uh, you know has has more insight in that I think it's I you know I think it's I I I think it's lovely in in attaching to, you know, attaching legislation. To the liturgical life of the church, I think that's I think that's good. We don't just want you know we have important days. We don't just need to pick random ones. We have lots that yeah. are important. So I think you know I think it's beautiful tying it to Our Lady, who is you know not only the, the refuge of sinners, um, you know, but she's also you know, our protectress. And so so both those who have sinned and offending crimes and those who have been offended, uh, you know, can mm-hmm. seek refuge in Our Lady's arms.
1: That's beautiful. If it didn't have significance to me, now it does, so thanks for sharing that. Um, I want to invite any of our listeners who may have questions. Now, you may not want me to do this, Father Jim oh,
0: fine. And any, any, ad- any, anything for the CLSA. <laughs>
1: if, if you're going to attend the convention and have some thoughts or questions, um, and you want to send them in to me, that I can get them to, to our presenters beforehand that maybe uh, we don't have that opportunity sometimes to share them before a convention gets started, but this will be something it's, it is, I mean, I've seen questions myself raised out already. So send them to me and I'll be glad to get them to the presenters and perhaps if they can fit them into their agenda, they can uh, somehow um, make those part, integrate those into their presentation. So so any final thoughts before we go or anything you wanna share about more about the convention or it's, it's, yeah, I mean, you haven't had time to work yeah. on it yet.
0: <laughs> no, 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 not even close. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, again, I think there's. I keep saying it. There's a lot to unpack here, and I, you know, I would love, um, you know, this is not the time now. This would be something for da- down the road. But again, to go back to this, you know, the image that the Holy Father has chosen about this flock, you know, the the the, the flock and the and the role of the shepherd, and you know, going into Vatican II's understanding of the of the you know, the monus of the bishop of this, you know, this being this pastoral role and the Holy Father kind of closing that circle and reminding the bishops that this is also part of your pastoral role, you know, back as, as we started. And the connection that, again, I said as, a, as, a, as an Eastern Catholic, you know, canonist, I can't help but hear the voice of Canon fourteen oh one from the Eastern Code, and you know, and all of the tradition there, going all the way back to the Council in Trullo, or Queenie Sextum for our, for our Latin friends. Uh, you know, I just I can't help but think that this is a actually a beautiful way to sort of complete that circle of the image of the bishop as, and again, in the language of the Council of Trullo, is the one who binds and looses sins. So the one who has the power to bind and loose is also the one who has the responsibility to correct. And that I think is the, the heart of what the Holy Father is getting at in, in this, new, uh, this new presentation of penal law is that you bind sins, you loose them, you forgive your sacramental minister, but you also have that duty to correct when the sheep go astray.
1: Not, not easy tasks for our, our bishops and all no, of No, oh, <laughs> no ma'am. No, ma'am. Not whatsoever. So, well, just so the folks know also, Father John Paul is also helping uh, the CLSA with the English translation. Um, Some of you are probably aware there is an English translation that the Vatican put out and it's on their website and they circulated it. I think there was a link in the original, uh, some of the texts that came out. So, but each Episcopal conference has the right, uh, canonically, to approve translation. So CLSA is working on a translation which we will then submit to the USCCB hopefully uh, within the next couple of months. And then we have the decision to make about whether to try to just publish a standalone book six or do a fourth printing of our code. Those are the kinds of things that our Board of Governors and Publications Advisory Board will be undertaking and will dialogue. But we are working on that. Um, So just so our listeners and our members know And Donna, just
0: about, if, if, I, if I may, we didn't we didn't talk about this. I kind of I kind of intentionally avoided it, um, you know, <laughs> you as, avoid as you, it. <laughs> I know, I know. It's hard to imagine I'm, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm happy to walk into any minefield there is. Uh, but I did try to avoid this one, but unsuccessfully. So there, there are some issues. Uh, I think it's safe to say there are issues that are raised uh, in comparing the original text Uh, as it was promulgated um, a few, you know, a couple weeks ago, and the English translation, there's some terms of art that have been, um, in my humble opinion, not well rendered. Uh, We can say that. I'll try not to step on all of the landmines simultaneously. Um, And I, you know, so the efforts of the CLSA in providing uh, uh, an English translation that's um, a little more refined and certainly more coherent with the English language rendering of terms of art in canon law, I think is very important. And I would just encourage everyone out there who is looking at the English translation to do so with a grain of salt here or there. If you see something that looks kind of wonky, um, you know, even if your Latin is not great, go back and double check the Latin and compare it with the, the the 1983 code, just to be sure that what you think is a change really is, because some of them are not, um, you know, where the Latin hasn't changed, the English has, and in some places that the English has been changed in the Vatican provided translation, it doesn't exactly line up with the terminology that we're accustomed to. And since those are terms of art in my, again, in my humble opinion, there's no reason to change them. Uh, I think we do a disservice if we, um, if we try to change accepted terms of art so that we don't, you know, one a simple one is negligence. You know, we know what negligence means in penal law, or we ought to know what negligence means in penal <laughs> law. Uh, and culpa, in this sense, is negligence. It's not fault. And there's a di- there's a difference in legal terminology between fault and negligence. So, you know, that's just a that's just a a simple example to point at to say, you know, if you're looking at the English translation and something looks a little off, just take a deep breath and double check the Latin as best you can and know that others are working to try to sort of, uh, again, refine the text so that it better reflects the terminology that we're accustomed to.
1: Absolutely, and and that's why it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, sometimes people say, what's taking so long to get this English translation? There is, you know, ecclesiastical Latin, so to speak, is not the same as just taking even even English to Spanish, Spanish to French, any of those takes some time. But you also well, and these
0: sure. are and these are t- these are terms of art that have you know centuries uh, of meaning behind them, and so to render them willy nilly is irresponsible.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, we have
0: an obligation, you know, to you know everybody that's going to pick up this translation, so that they can be sh- they can be certain that we've translated this in a way that's coherent and consistent with the canonical tradition. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's a responsibility that nobody takes lightly. And that's a responsibility that takes a little more time than, you know, whipping a translation up off the cuff.
1: Yeah. And even some of those words, we don't even try. I had never heard of a delect right. until I went to study canon law. You know, now we just yeah. keep delect as delect. Latte sententiae. When I was looking at one of the Latin translations on the Vatican website when it first came out, which they changed within a day or two, mm-hmm. they were translating latte sententiae and brende sententiae. Yeah. And I was kind of laughing at the translations on the Vatican website, which they, obviously they immediately yeah. changed. But those are the kinds of terms that sometimes there's not a really good
0: yeah.
1: English translation. So we just stick with it. And then we have to learn what they mean as right. canonists.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, but that's our job. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you can call it jargon if you want to call it jargon, mm-hmm. you know, you can call it a term of art, but yeah. you know, we're, lawyers are the last people on earth that believe that words still have meanings and <laughs> lawyers need to, need to hold on to that even more. So, so, so if, you know, we, you know, our, 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 language is, is Latin. And if we're going to take it mm-hmm. out of Latin, then we have responsibility to be sure that we've rendered it in the most accurate way possible. And we're Absolutely. just, if the translation that came out on the first day, again, in my opinion, isn't there yet. Mm -hmm. And that's why the CLSA is is preparing another one.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you, Father John Paul. We've been about 45 minutes now, I think, but um, I know you've got other commitments and I'm so grateful that you took the time to be with us today.
0: It's always a pleasure, Donna. I hope hope people have listened all the way through, but
1: uh, (laughs) (laughs) we didn't scare them
0: off early on.
1: (laughs) I'm sure they will. And I'm sure we'll get some folks uh, sending in some things that they're going to ask maybe you and Monsignor Rankin to consider for the for the pre-convention and the workshop
0: so that'd be fantastic
1: all right well we'll talk soon thank you so
0: much thank you god bless Thomas.